Good Thursday, everyone. Welcome to the BallQuest.com Mailbag Podcast, presented by our good friends at Blue Water Climate Control with Austin Price and Rob Lewis and Brent Hubs. Glad to have you along with us. Hope everybody's Thursday is fantastic. Don't forget, hey, spring is coming, and many East Tennesseans are looking forward to opening windows and letting in some fresh air. But what if you could comfortably change out that stale air year-round in your house without losing any of your energy efficiency? With an energy recovery ventilator, you can do just that. Indoor air pollutants can be up to five times higher than outdoors, making ventilation the most effective means for lowering indoor air pollutants. Call Blue Water Climate Control today to schedule a consultation, learn more about it. Give them a buzz at 865-299-2290. And again, Blue Water Climate Control handling all of your repair needs. They've got the service plan, everything you need to keep your heating and air unit running at top shape. They can do that for you. Check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com. All right, to the questions we go in this edition of the mailbag. And there's not a tie. I don't think there's a tie Simpson question in this week's mailbag, which is the first in about a year. Uh, and I don't think there's a question about who's going to be on the coaching staff for the first time in about five months. So let's see what is in the old mailbag as we open it up here. We'll start with a little recruiting question. Austin, where would you have Kinsey Paul and Patrick Kudis on the list of in-state players that Tennessee's looking at? I think they, they like Kinsey Paul, but I, I think he's down the list. Um, and Patrick Kudis is right near the top of the list when it comes to linemen. I mean, I put him right up there with Fisher Anderson and, and, uh, you know, Addison Nichols. I mean, I think they really like Patrick Kudis a lot. And, uh, you know, credit Aaron Hayden, who told us last say that, July yeah. or August, whatever, well, I, forget, I forget what month we went out there on that state tour. And he goes, guys, you need to interview this guy. He's going to be the next big thing. And then, you know, boom, boom, boom. Now, here's the thing about Kudis, Brent. He's not been anywhere. Because by the time he blew up, we were well into the dead period. Right. So he's not been anywhere, not seen a school. So uh, I don't think that he's like hopping in the boat anytime soon or any of that, but I think Tennessee's doing a good job and credit Glenn Ellerby for uh, paying a lot of attention to Patrick Kudis. Yeah. Academics will be a, could be a major factor there as well. And just in our conversation with him there in Memphis, I think in Notre Dame, I think you mentioned Northwestern the other day, uh, a couple of academic schools I think could grab his attention if they were good football schools as well. It's not to say Tennessee's academics are poor, but I think academics, you know, is something that would be intriguing to him and his parents. Well, I, I talked to him about that. And um, I think if Notre Dame offered, that would be an eye opener because he sees the, the history tradition and everything involved with the fighting Irish um, like the Northwesterns and, and Vanderbilts and teams like that. I think that might be a touch overblown. I think, okay. that, yeah, he wants a good – and, again, I was under the same assumption, but having talked to him, I think that academics is important to him, but I don't think he's just going to pick an academic school just to pick one. I think he feels like he can get, you know, his degree, which right now he's kind of going, you know, either business or kinesiology um, is what he told me. Um, you know, I think he feels like he can get those just about anywhere. So I, I, I think it's important to him, but I don't think it's the end-all be-all. Pretty good afternoon in the, uh, I guess that was the, I don't know if that was the north or south end zone there at the high school. We, we, we got Kennedy Chandler, Patrick Kudis, and, and Dallin Hayden on, on, a, on about a 30-minute window of work there that day. So uh, pr pretty good stuff that day. Uh, and again, Aaron Hayden called this shot a long time ago that, that he was going to be a big-time deal. All right, to iHeart Vols we go here. You guys have been very insightful about Heupel, how Heupel was willing to add Garner to his staff on the advice of others. 
uh, even though that Heupel and Garner have never coached together. Some support staff members who know the landscape of the state, Lawson, Altizer, and others, were previous coaches advised to do the same? And if so, why do you think they didn't? A couple of things here for me. One, when previous guys were hired, the recruiting staff wasn't blown up. Rob, you, you, didn't, have the, you didn't have an empty recruiting room uh, to, to go about that. The other thing, too, is when other staffs were hired and other head coaches were hired, Rob, it wasn't they, – they had their staff kind of planned out how they were going to go about this. With Josh Heupel, it was – get a phone call at 4 in the afternoon – and the deal was done at 10 o'clock that night. So it wasn't like he had sat around for weeks assembling a staff to make a move somewhere. But, yes, I think previous staffs were advised to, you know, have some Tennessee flair in some certain areas and things like that. But everybody's going to do it their own way. Um, I think it's the biggest reason is the simplest when you mentioned first. I mean, the other no, – no other coach came in, here, came in here after six people had been fired in the recruiting office. I mean, it's, it's unprecedented, to say the least. Well, I mean, you go back – well, you look like at the last two coaching searches. Like, the last one had, like, the the craziness of, of all that before Curry got fired and then the, the kind of the second search with Phillip. And in this one, you uh, eviscerate everybody and, and obliterate the entire deal from top to bottom, low-level people to the, to the highest level. It, it just – does it not feel like to you guys that, like, Hubs, we were sitting out there doing that live with Russo – and, and, you know, I got a call from a couple of different staff members telling me they were let go too. <laughs> it seems like it was six months ago and it's only been like six weeks. I mean, like, it just is crazy, like the kind of the depths the last two searches have been. So, yeah, I mean, I do think that the fact that when we talked about this, the uh, Rock Taylor thing was not necessarily on Josh Heupel, in, in my opinion, as much as it was just kind of a collaboration of all the events that happened because, you know, the previous staff, when Jeremy got here, Bob Welton was still here for several weeks to kind of help coordinate things before he went to Nebraska for five seconds before he ended up at Alabama. There was nobody here in the recruiting office. And like, like One Altizer. student who was not really heavily involved at all. That was it. And Altizer was here when Butch got here. Yeah. 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 And he was here when Kiffin got here and, um, you know, so that they had some carryover there. I, I do know this, when, when Butch was hired, uh, I, I think he was advised, and I think Dave Hart was a part of the advising of, hey, be careful how many Cincinnati people you bring with you. You know, you, you, you may want to not bring everybody type deal. Um, so it's been discussed. I, I know when Jeremy Pruitt, in the interview with Philip Fulmer, I, I think he just basically told him, hey, here's, who I, here's, here's what my staff will be. Because Austin, I mean, we, we were sitting at Fieldhouse Social and in a matter of about 45 minutes, had like seven staff knew who seven staff members were. I mean, that went really, really fast. You know, that airplane was heading to Colorado to pick up, um, Will, Will Friend, Friend, Terry Fair. And it was going on out to get, um, Tyson Helton, Tyson Helton and, and come back. And then rockers, you know, rocker was immediately hired. And so that one went really fast because, um, Jeremy Pruitt knew exactly who he was putting together on, on that for the most part, everybody who he was putting together on his well, own. And in reality, Brent, this, and I know this is the mailbag podcast, so we got to get to more questions. But in reality, like the offensive side outside of running backs was really done. Ellerby didn't show up because he had coat. <laughs> so, like, he, he wasn't here for a few it weeks was because he had, yeah, quarantine. Yeah, whatever. He had to miss because of COVID right. reading. Um, you know, and then, uh, you know, Cody Burns was sitting at home at Auburn, Alabama, and he didn't get up here because of the whole T. Martin situation because they had to kind of meander their way through that. 
So, like, in reality, the offensive side was kind of done, except for the running back position. And then it was just the defensive side that, like, and again, I think that's because, as you said a minute ago, he could have caught four o'clock and it was quickly had to, you know, the deal was done by 10 and he wasn't bringing Randy Shannon with him. Right. Yeah, absolutely not. All right. Let's go on to the next one. If the dead period ends tomorrow, who are the first handful of kids that get a phone call to set up some type of in-person visit, whether they're coming to campus or whether you're going to see them, of course, you can't go see them at this point, but if it's opened up, who's Tennessee trying the hardest to get to campus immediately? I, I would in, just say everybody in state. Everybody in state and all quarterbacks. Uh, that, that's just, you know, yeah. they're going to try to get, you know, Jackson here, you know, you know, the kid from Ohio here. I mean, they're going to, they're, they're going to, you know, try to get every in-state kid here. The Wade twins, Fisher Anderson, Dallin Hayden, Isaiah Horton, Cam Miller. They're going to try to get all those kids here as quick as they can, and rightfully so. And hey, trust me, those kids want to get to campuses, whether it's Tennessee or not. You know, they, they're itching and, 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 and you know, really antsy and, and anxious to, to take some visits because they don't want it to end up like the 21 class. Yeah. All right, can the 22 class get some momentum by a couple of commits or better than expected season? Because it seems like everybody in state is a – or not just everybody, but it seems like the 22 class is a huge uphill battle right now. Well, it is. I mean, like, let's face it. Take away Cody Jones and Taylor Groves. I mean, like, at the end of the day, most people that follow recruiting still don't know who those kids are. But everybody knows who Ty is. And so, you know, your, your top quarterback in the state of Tennessee goes elsewhere. And so, he was the chance to really kind of light the, the match and light the fire. That didn't happen. So, how do you do that? How do you get juice for Josh Heupel and company? Most of these kids are going to give, you know, the, the staff a couple of months to try to show them what they got. Well, in that couple of months, you can't go to them and they can't come to you. So you got to figure out some kind of way to get some momentum. I think that's really hard. I really do. And like, let's face it, most of these kids, if not all, are not going to wait till Tennessee wins some games in the fall. They want to get stuff done. So, you know, I, I think that that Tennessee needs the dead period to end. They need it to end in a hurry, and uh, that's just kind of where we are. And in best case scenario, this thing this thing ends May thirty first, and Tennessee can start getting kids on campus in June. Rob, regardless, for the time being, Tennessee's going to have to be creative to, to get some guys' attention. And I don't mean like circus, you know, unicycles and, and crazy <laughs> creative, but I'm just saying from a, from a technology standpoint, whatever, they're going to have to be creative to try to get some guys' attention. Yeah, I mean, I, I just – I think more than being creative and being cool on Twitter or whatever, they're going to have to get some, some clarity with this NCAA situation. Yeah, that would be that would be nice. I don't know how realistic that is, but yeah, the quicker they can get some kind of at least led down a path where they could give some some guys more of a clear I mean, idea of things would be would be essential. Because not only do they not have any answers, the people you're recruiting against have all kinds of ammunition to use against you. Yeah, they think they have all the answers, and when they present when they give kids stuff, and the kid comes and asks Tennessee. Tennessee's answer is, I don't really know yet. We're well, having to wait and see. And, and let's face it, all those schools guys can do one thing. They can say, hey, you got to get in the boat now. Uh, you know, you never know if your spot's going to be here if you wait a couple months. Well, what do kids fear? Being left out in the cold. Yep. And, 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 and so kids are going to read, react, and jump, you know, at things um, because schools put a little pressure on them. That happens all the time. Yeah. And, and sadly, with the fact that Tennessee – has no momentum, 
and, and and you can't you know host kids or go see kids or kind of get you know let kids get their hands on you a little bit uh, i think right now it, tennessee's kind of in limbo all right on to the next one will assistant coaches on the staff interact more with the media in an official capacity than the last staff did personally hope hypo lets fans hear from them regularly yes it, it won't be any less <laughs> well, it can't be any less and, but, but the fact but the fact that you know both Chris and I were able to get Tim Banks and, you know, Rodney Garner on the nation the last two weeks. I'm told that, that Josh Heupel understands that, you know, messaging and, you know, getting his staff out there in front of people is a real, real positive. So I say, yes, I think they're going to talk a lot more. I'm not saying they're going to be available every week, but they're going to talk more than the one time a year that they did under Jeremy. And I, th- I think, Rob, what, what, what about the days when Chief would just lean up against the wall <laughs> in, in, in the Hall of Fame room? Uh, yeah, sometimes he wouldn't even get down the steps because people would be waiting on him in the landing area up there to talk to him. I mean, that's a, that's the amazing part. Those guys back then spoke every Tuesday. And you every get, single one of them, not yeah. selected. Right, and, and you could get some of them coming off the practice field on days, too, if you needed to ask them a question. I do think, though, Rob, if you're Josh Heupel, it makes all the sense in the world, particularly you know you're in an uphill climb here, to, to, to let those guys' voices be heard because I just think it helps you. Yeah, and in, in our limited interactions with him so far, he just seems to me like a guy who's comfortable in his own skin, is not a control freak, you know, not afraid of you know, controlling the, the, the entirety of the message it gets out. I mean, I just think he's laid back and doesn't see it as you know, some kind of huge threat. To his authority. Next one. When a coach ends up being a lifetime position coach like Rodney Garner, is it usually because of the coach's preference or is it a lack of anyone giving the coach a shot at a higher position? I don't think in the case of Rodney Garner, he's ever pursued anything more than being a position coach and a recruiter. I don't think that's ever been in his, his desire list. I think he's been totally comfortable, totally happy. Um, that's why he's, you look at it, he's moved in a triangle. You know, Auburn to Tennessee to Georgia, back to Auburn, now back to Tennessee. Uh, and I think he's totally comfortable with that role as a position coach and, and kind of a lead recruiter. Um, some other, you know, some other situations, that, you know, guys maybe had a hard time getting a shot at a higher position. You know, um, things haven't fell right for them. But in the case of Rodney Garner, it's just a situation where I don't think he's ever pursued um, any kind of job um, beyond being a position coach. In fact, when he was at Tennessee, he coached offense. You know, he, he was an offensive line coach, coached um, tackles, um, and, and, and then went to defense. But he's always just kind of had a desire to be a position coach. All right. Uh, the, I, was just, I think guys like him are, are an exception, though. What do you think, App? Well, I mean, I agree. I mean, like a guy like Jay, who's been a, a lifetime running backs coach, you know, he was going to come two years ago you know, uh, after Jeremy's first year and then, you know, kind of got caught up in, in language and titles and stuff. And Jimbo promised him to give him a title. And, you know, he gave him that run game coordinator or whatever nonsense, but gave him really no more responsibility. So that's why he left a year ago to come up here because he felt like he'd kind of gotten lied to. Well, when Alabama came about, you know, let's face it, their, their running backs coach just got hired as the head coach at Marshall. So, like, you can go to Alabama and kind of parlay that into a head head gig or a coordinator role 
And so I think Jay's aspirations are just more than being a running backs coach. So I think in most instances, Rob's right. You guys want to continue to move up. Now, sometimes you get to a point in your career and you just kind of recognize this is what I am and you're comfortable with it. I'm, th- I'm talking about when they're young, when they're in the 20s, oh, yeah. early 30s. I think most guys are, are you know, tr- hoping they can grab the brass ring. And then, you know, m- maybe when you get to be 45 and, you know, you kind of see what's out there where you're at and, and the money you're making, it's probably pretty easy to be satisfied. Yep. Yeah, I don't disagree with that at all. I, I think I think particularly in this day and age, young guys, I mean, maybe maybe years and years ago, I mean, I you know, I don't know that Dan Brooks ever wanted to do anything more and, you know, some other guys through the years you could name. Uh, but I think you're right. Um, younger coaches, and particularly in this day and age, I think they're all looking, you know, for an opportunity to call plays or an opportunity to be a head coach somewhere, certainly have a desire to, to move up and, and see if they can, get a bigger piece of the pie, if you will. All right, on to PC Showtime. The athletic department's broke. Where's the money coming from to pay these buyouts a new and hire a new staff for a football program? Um, was the money donated? How do they do it? How do they come up with all this money? Um, I, here, here's what a couple of things. I don't know that there's direct donation money. Um, there could be, but I don't know that there is. Uh, I know in talking to some people, over the, the last year because of all the COVID stuff um, that the university was certainly going to be able to pay and fund whatever um, payroll stuff needed to be done if they were going to come up short there, uh, that that was un- understanding that they were going to honor, be able to honor every contract. And, and that would, that falls back on them. That's why the chancellor signs a contract because it's more than just, with the athletic department, it's with the university. So to pay to pay contracts, you know that can default to the university if need be, and that would include the buyouts for Jim Cheney or, you know, whoever that way. Uh, there's also some talk out there, um, and I think this is probably going to happen in some places that the SEC is going to offer low interest loans to athletic departments and universities if needed as a part of some COVID relief. Plus, Rob, you got a big old new TV deal coming down the pike, which is going to pay a lot more money uh, from the from the you know the SEC network and the affiliation with ABC and ESPN. Maybe that's where some of all the money's coming from. I will say this: it's an interesting look when you tell everybody for what two three years you're broke, you don't have any money, and then you're spending the amount of money that they're spending to get rid of people, to have them not work. And, and then to hire people as, you know, you spent $6 million to central Florida to hire two people. And we had this exact same conversation the other day. I mean, I, I can't believe that, you know, there's some donor that some donors are not involved and, you know, I don't know what, it, I don't what the operations look like, but I think there's some deep pocketed donors that, that have stepped up. And we know that some donors have in the past, I mean, we know for Rick Barnes contract that donors were involved there for the bonus structure in order to keep him from going to UCLA that that was something that was done with donors and, and Randy Boyd um, to, to make sure that that took place where, where Rick Barnes was not leaving. That's how that bonus structure got written the way it got written um, and some of the perks in that contract as well. All right, the next question here on transfers. It's Tennessee targeting Lance Dixon, Watts from Texas Tech, Caleb Oliver from Georgia Tech, Blaine Toll from Arkansas, or Ja'Cory Robinson from uh, Cincinnati. Tennessee is targeting Lance Dixon. They've had a conversation there. Um, 
I don't know how detailed the conversation is, but there has been some conversation there. Uh, he's got some other options out there, Michigan State, I think, TCU, Georgia Tech. Uh, but Austin, he knows Tim Banks, so you would think that that would give Tennessee an in um, if he has a good relationship with Tim Banks. So that one makes the most sense. You keep hearing the Oliver kids got some issues with Tennessee because of his older brother. It didn't go very well for him when he was at Tennessee. Um, Tennessee was not involved with Oliver when he was when he graduated high school from Murfreesboro. So I don't know that there's anything going on there. But what about Watts from Texas Tech or Blaine Toll from, from Arkansas? I think they are they are at least looking at Watts at Texas Tech, um, and then Blaine Toll. I, I I'm not heard anything on him. You know, uh, interesting that. You know, he leaves after one year, a COVID year, um, after he decided to stay in state and play for Sam Pittman. Yeah, I think that's interesting that, that you know, he didn't find a home or they're saying he couldn't find a home over there at a position or whatever. I'll say this for Tennessee, Rob, if you're not the transfer portal looking at transfers, you know, and Josh Heupel, then I mean, you got to have part of your back room in the recruiting office looking at every transfer name that hits the portal or that may be rumored to hit the portal. You, you better be evaluating all that tape to try to help this roster. Oh, I, could, I couldn't agree more, but there, there again, I mean, I think the NCAA stuff yeah. is a big impediment. For me, like the, the, the main position you got to look at here, offensive line, secondary, and linebacker. Yeah. You know, but, but, but more specifically, I think – linebacker, I think you could get away with not taking an offensive lineman. To me, it's it's depth in the back end of your defense, whether it be linebacker or secondary. You know, I, I think Tennessee, if they can get somebody of a quality body, then they've got to look in hard. I mean, if, you, if you're a good enough prospect where, you, you know, you think you have a chance at the NFL, then maybe, you know, the opportunity to come and play in the ACC and, you know, get game tape against a bunch of other NFL picks is going to help your career, then maybe that offsets the NCAA stuff, but I, I still think that's a that's a big anchor around your neck. Well, and here's the other thing, too, from the NCAA standpoint. If you're Josh Heupel, you need to know what, what you're going to self-impose. Because are you going to self-impose in penalties starting with the 20, you know, the 22 class? Or are you going to try to back count some self-imposed penalty and maybe not use all of your spots for the 25 in the 21 class and say, hey, we've already self-imposed for that year? So you don't take and fill up your whole allotment of transfers to try to help yourself with self-imposed penalties with the NCAA. But to do that, you got to have a pretty clear idea of what you think you're going to need to self-impose. But maybe you don't go as heavy transfers simply for the fact that you're trying to get the NCAA stuff off the books as fast as you can. So why not count it against the 21 class instead of starting it against the 22 class if you're going to have multiple year scholarship reduction? Well, Tennessee's sitting there with five or six spots. So, I mean, like, you, you could still take conceivably, you know, two a couple. Three guys yeah. and, still, and still be able to self-impose a few. Yep, and that's what they may end up doing. We'll have to wait and see what, what happens there. All right, beyond tempo, how hard is Heupel's offense to prepare for? Can he scheme up a defense? Is the Heupel offensive statistics skewed due to piling on to bad teams? In 2016-17, Missouri scored over 30 points against a Power 5 opponent only six times. Tennessee was two of them. They scored two touchdowns or less seven times. Are Tennessee fans setting themselves up for disappointment with this, quote, high-powered offense saving us? I, I don't know. Go ahead, Rob. I just wouldn't say they're against bad teams and just because he was at Central Florida. I mean, he's not, it's, it's not like he's playing with a bunch of NFL draft picks against you know, teams in that league that aren't. I mean, it's, it's, 
a level playing field. I mean, he's playing teams that are, are you know recruiting in the same target range that that he is. So I wouldn't. I don't think that they're skewed from that point. I mean, not over, not over three years and not with those kind of kinds of numbers. I just don't think you know. I, I don't think you know until they get out there and and and, and the, the live bullets start flying. But I mean, I tend to agree. Like Rob's right. Like it's not like Central Florida had set up some you know, I guess, tricked up team where they were just so much better than everybody else. I mean, were they better? I mean, yeah, but I don't think it was, I think it was more marginally than it was anything else. So, you know, I think that, you know, the proof will be in the pudding when, when they get out there and the, the ball gets kicked off in the fall. Yeah. I mean, I, th- I think that's obviously the case, you know, statistically that their offense has been good um, everywhere it's been, everywhere they've been, have they been perfect? No. Will there be growing pains with this offense? There's no doubt about that there will be growing pains with this offense, and um, there will be an adjustment to the SEC for this offense as well. I also agree with you, Austin, that you just don't know. I mean, I I thought, and I've said this before, I thought I told some people the night before Tennessee debuted the Dave Clawson offense at UCLA, I thought they put up a bunch of points, you know, and that offense just didn't work. Uh, I don't think I told that. I don't think I told that whenever. Well, I mean, <laughs> it didn't work, and, and but but here's the difference, and 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 I'll finish the story in explaining this. It didn't work because not everybody bought in, not everybody on the offensive staff was believing in it. They had obviously obviously chemistry issues on that offense from a staff standpoint, from a player standpoint as well. This is an offensive staff that everybody has worked for Hypel except for the running backs coach. The head coach is going to be bought into this offense. Yeah, and so I like that yeah. one. Unlike that last head coach who was sitting there, you know, midway through the second quarter going, what in the world is this? This is not what we thought we were getting. So, uh, we, but my point is you, you just, you never know. You, you don't really know till it, till it gets out there. And, you know, everybody thought that, that Jeremy Pruitt's defense would be, you know, really good this past year because they're bringing all these people back and it just wasn't. So you never know. That's right. And Josh won't have a Nevin McKenzie to take one back to the house like, like Philip did at UCLA that night to keep him somewhat in the game. Wow. What a pool. That's what a pool. I didn't – yeah, that's pretty good because that, that's not as good as Richard Kovalchuk. Um, oh, no, that, that, that right there is one, an all-timer right Yeah, there. I got multiple calls about Richard Kovalchuk's name being mentioned on the podcast. Um, a lot of people had to go look who that – you know, remind themselves of who that was. But I did some, some calls about that. Nevin McKenzie is a good pool. All right, let's go to um, little hoops here. No one thinks Barnes is a bad coach, but no one thought Fulmer was a bad coach either. Any chance that uh, Barnes gets to a point that he may get pushed out or uh, did we not learn their lesson on that 13 years ago? With all these mid-range jumpers, has the style, game style of play passed Barnes up in any respect, Rob Lewis? Uh, on the first one, I, I mean, I, I'd have a hard time seeing Rick get pushed out. I, I believe based off what I've seen and, you know, a five-star in each of the last three recruiting classes could have gone anywhere in the country. I don't, I don't think the recruiting's passed him by, and I, at, to, to say the least. The, to the second question, Rick is not – I mean, he – I've had other coaches tell me this, that he's – you know, he, he's got the mind of a young coach and that he is, he's interested in talking to people. He's interested in hearing other ideas, that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah, he's got his system and he's got you know things he wants to do, but he's not afraid to tweak it. Now, with that said, he's never going to sell out, I don't think, and adopt <clears throat> Nate Oates' philosophy of either a three ball or a layup. But, you know, he's got young guys on his staff, and I can promise you, and talking to him, that Kim English, Mike Schwartz, Des Oliver, I mean, these guys are – they're into the analytics. I mean, they can they can take a deep dive into the, 
the basketball nerd numbers with you. And and Rick listen listens to those guys, leans on them hard to come up with game plans. So no, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that, that he's some dinosaur that it's you know completely set in his ways and, and refuses to listen to new ideas. All right, another basketball question here. Now that the regular season's almost done, who on this team do you see moving on to the NBA or just not coming back next season? And he wants to know if this so-called email list is real. Austin, I'll let you dive into the email list. I would just say, if you, if you know, you know on the email list. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> if you know, you know on the private email list. <laughs> all I'm saying. <laughs> About the, the two freshmen gone, Rob. Okay, I, mean, I, gone. I think so. I mean, Pons is gone. Fulky tonight on his press conference, um, man, if, if people haven't listened to that, I mean, he talked forever in front of senior day. I would go back and I, I, I urge you to go and listen to maybe like the last seven, eight minutes of it. And if, you, if you're not rooting hard for the kid after listening to, to him, kind of talk about what the, his struggles this year, what, it, what it's meant for him to be at Tennessee, uh, you're, you're not a real Tennessee fan because, I mean, he can't he, – he, he gave one of the best player interviews I've seen anybody give in, in 20 years, especially just talking about the last, again, seven or eight minutes. So he seemed really open to coming back tonight. He stated flatly that being a grad transfer was not an option. He wouldn't play college basketball anywhere at Tennessee. And he said there was a lot that was attractive about coming back. I kind of left it thinking he was leaning that way. Again, you know, mock drafts, don't, you know, they don't mean anything. But the latest one I saw, I key on at eight. Jaden at 13th and if you know if that's even remotely close to being right in those Euros at 26 yeah figured. Uh, you know, I, don't, I don't think they're gone I mean I think they're both gone yeah. and then I don't want to get into particulars but there'll be some other kids on the roster that won't be here next year I mean why would Fulkerson not come back I mean like are you going to go overseas and, and eat that or are you going to stay around and go get a chipped ham every couple of days I mean come on well I, mean, I think what you do and, and and to answer the other question if you want to get put on the email list email uh, I, I, the, e the email to get on the email list is austin.price at aka vff at <laughs> hotmail.com. Let's um, let me go to the next question. I mean, as for focus, I think the question is does he just want to keep playing? Where, where's he at in the game with his I mean, I think approach to the game? He right could now. go make some money in Europe, but he could do that next year too. Yeah. All well, right. Um, on to recruiting here. Last couple as we get out the door. Uh, has Hypo had any contact with Arch Manning? Yes. Yeah. I mean, like, they, they went out and they re-offered, um, you know, like everybody does. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not something like something where Hypo can call Arch. Arch is not old enough for that. So, you know, they have to set up a, uh, a correspondence via direct message. Yeah, I mentioned this on the board as well on, on Wednesday. Uh, the Mannings, the Manning family, in particular Cooper, knows Danny White pretty well. I think there's a pretty solid foundation for a relationship there. Not saying that will land Arch Manning, but it certainly does not. It doesn't hurt with that relationship. I will be surprised if he ends up here, but I'm just saying. Yeah, and that's the thing is like, you know, it, it, one, one he's, not, he's not Marshall, okay? He's not Peyton's kid. So, like <laughs> – and so, like, most of anything that Arch has went to has been Ole Miss related. Sure. You know, so, like, you know, if he's going to go and do the whole family thing, he's more likely to end up at Ole Miss playing for Lane than he is coming to Tennessee because Uncle Peyton went here. You know, yeah. so, I mean, and, and you know, we all know that also that a lot of times, sometimes kids who come from, you know, families that have a lineage at a school want to just carve their own path. I mean, he may end up at LSU or Alabama or who knows where. 
Yeah. Hey, right. Speaking of Marshall, you got you got to read on that one yet? Uh, Marshall, no, David da- David Cutcliffe said his mind is much like Peyton's and uh, and and throws a really good ball. I I I I, I teed him up on the Nation a few weeks ago, and I was like, "Geez, he just like <laughs> built this kid up." Every like if, you, if you're a Vol fan and you heard him say that, you're like, "I don't know what class Marshall Manning is. What is he like? 2028? Like I bet you like Vol fans are sitting there like, 2028, just get here soon enough." It can still be the decade of the balls. <laughs> <laughs> All right, rapid fire out to date. If the dead period ends and Tennessee has a quarterback in the boat, will they still try to get Simpson or Horn to visit AP? If they have a quarterback done, will they be done or would they entertain a visit from those guys? No, I think they'd be done. Now, would they take a phone call if either one of those kids called? I think they would take the call, yes. Uh, but I don't think that Tennessee's not going to rock the boat here. If they like the quarterback they have in here, they're not going to rock the boat to flirt with a guy that may or may not come. And and Sam Horn seemed pretty locked into Missouri. Now, again, that can change. A lot can change. Um, and Ty Simpson seems pretty locked into Alabama. Um, you know, and again, the way the whole thing went, went down with Ty, you know, uh, he's going to have this, like I call it the stages of commitment. You know, the, the right now he's going to have the anger stage because he's looking at his Twitter and all the ball fans tell him he's terrible and he's overrated and they're cussing him and traitor and all that. Same thing happened to Cade. And that's what led to the Tennessee two video because he was angry, you know? Um, and so like, I'm not saying that Ty's going to do that, but I'm just saying like there's stages of commitment. So like a month or two from now, the dust is going to settle. We'll see where he feels, what he feels about Tennessee at that point. And uh, final question out the gate with Alabama making the announcement that they plan for hundred percent capacity for football in the fall. Do you think Tennessee or other SEC schools will announce something similar in the coming weeks or months? I think every SEC school right now is planning on hundred percent capacity. Except for fall. Vanderbilt. And that's because they feel like it's an equal playing field to not have <laughs> anybody there at their games. Uh, but I, I mean, I think everybody's planning on that. I don't know that there'll be a bunch of formal announcements, but I think in any discussion, you know, that, an AD's quoted. I mean, the chancellor said on vol calls that she expects campus to be a hundred percent fall for the fall. Um, now that, that, you know, we'll see what the CDC says. We'll see what the state says. We'll see what all those things happen. But right now there's nobody other than the PAC 12 who is planning on anything other than full football right now. And then yeah, the PAC 12. And as it relates to the buyouts, beers are going to be $26. <laughs> no two for ones in the second half, right? <laughs> 26, 26, 50. Uh, there'll be no cutoff time too. They'll just let you keep drinking. <laughs> They'll let you stay after the game. <laughs> Got a paper buyout somehow. That's for sure. All right. That's going to do it for this edition of the blue water climate control mailbag podcast for Austin Price and Rob Lewis. I'm Brent Hubs. Thanks for joining us. Be sure to check them out at bluewaterclimatecontrol.com or on Twitter at blue H two O underscore climate. That's going to do it for this edition of the mailbag. Have a great Thursday, everybody.